Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. How many sales have we actually got from these free trials? And if it's 95% of people that have done the free trial end up signing up for it or keeping it, that's good news. If it's only 2%, then it's not working very well. We can spin out theories around both sides of this, and you may may look at those theories and go, oh yeah, only this set of theory applies to what I'm talking about. So therefore we have a high degree of confidence, but often it's more muddy. Often there's both at play. So in essence, it is, if I've got this, no matter if I've paid for it or not, I think it's mine. Ryan, we've got another pickle. (laughs) Good. (laughs) I love pickles. I love the way you phrase that. I'm in a pickle. It's such a great, I love it. I love it. Nobody else loves it, but I do. So (laughs) so for the regular listener that that doesn't know what the hell we're talking about, Ryan and I have started this uh, new segment of the show or new show, depending on the size of the pickle. (laughs) There's so many things you can hang around a pickle, isn't there? And I'm in a pickle is basically taking a problem that one of our listeners has and trying to sort of pick it apart and trying to help, basically. We know that these theories can be a little abstract. And so in an effort at always making the podcast more practical and useful, we want to try to apply it to your problems. So let us know. And we are also assuming that just because this one person, in this case, a chap named Mohammed has got this problem that we're absolutely convinced that a lot of you have also got the same problem. But they have to be business problems, okay? Not personal problems. I mean, I've got opinions about your personal life, if you want to ask them, but (laughs) Colin's less comfortable weighing in on those. Absolutely. So what's the problem? So Mohammed wrote to us and basically said that I'm trying to convince my team that giving customers the ability to use our product free for a period would help sales. Do you have any supporting evidence? So I guess this is the problem is, is one of these ones where you download this software for 30 days and you can use it. And then if you like it, you keep it. He's having some problems in convincing his team that this is an issue, that they should be implementing this. So if you were called in, Ryan, and wanted to help solve this problem, what would you talk about? What would you, how would you deal with this? First, thanks to Mohammed for writing in. We appreciate that. I guess before we dig into some of the the behavioral science that could help resolve this, I would push back a little bit on the way that he phrased the question. It sounds like he's already convinced of a solution and is now looking for support for that solution to try to convince others. Yeah. And it may be that that's the right solution and he's done lots of research and thinking about it and that's absolutely correct. I would though encourage us all to, as we approach problems like this, to consider that maybe our initial 
leanings may not be correct. It may be that that a free trial in this case is not the correct solution. So instead of providing support to try to convince his team, I think we're going to discuss it from the perspective of here's here's the things that could make this a good idea or a bad idea. You figure out how it applies to your situation. And, and if we're giving more, and if it makes more sense to you to do it, then we're going to provide you lots of support. If not, though, it may be time to back away from that. Good? Yeah, so totally agree. Let's keep an open mind. What are the things that we should be looking at if we're, we're applying it? Well, from a behavioral science perspective, I know that things like the endowment effect would, yep. would have a, an impact here. Yes, I agree. Uh, endowment effect is where I went first as well. So a quick reminder to our listeners, the endowment effect is something that is rooted in loss aversion. And it's the basic idea that once you have something, once it is in your endowment, that you value it more. So right. this is another one of those really confusingly named effects. Yeah, yeah. Academia doing their marketing again. Yeah, yeah. Let's identify this thing and let's call it the most confusing thing we can possibly call it. <laughs> your endowment, and I was like a year and a half into graduate school before I figured this out. Your endowment is essentially stuff that you own. So if you feel like yes. it's, it's within your possessions, then it is within your endowment and you start to treat it differently. So in essence, it is, if I've got this, yes. no matter if I've paid for it or not, I think it's mine. Yes. And because you consider it yours, it's painful for you to give it up. Right. So they've, they've induced the endowment effect in really kind of subtle and, and easy ways. So in one of the first demonstrations of the endowment effect, they gave students in a classroom, gave half of them a mug. And just said, here you go. This mug is for you. And essentially, as soon as they hand you a mug, you consider it yours and people start to value the mugs that they have more than the other people in the class who don't have the mugs who had to, to bid on them, essentially. Like, how much would you pay for this mug? And then right. I've given you a mug. How much would you sell it for? And they found that there was a big gap there. People who had the mugs wanted more money for them than people who didn't have the mugs were willing to pay for it. Right. That makes sense. So that's the theory. Like if you give out this stuff for free to people, yeah. then now it will become a part of their endowment and it'll then be painful for them to give it up. And so they will be willing to start paying for it rather than lose that service or have to, to give that good back. Yeah. So this made me start to think as usual, okay, that we know that this happens already. Yes. Right. And what we're effectively doing here is we're explaining the the science behind why this is effective yeah yes it's clearly around the loss part which is the this whole loss aversion piece very good let me ask you a question before i dive into we dive into this in a bit more depth does things like money back guarantee fall into this category so if i give you this i've got a money back guarantee which makes me go, yeah, it's a bit safer, therefore, if I if I take that up or not. I think that it does generally point in the same direction. I, as you just articulated, a money-back guarantee lowers the risk of buying it, right? Yeah. And so, therefore, it lowers some of that initial barrier. I think the hope is that once you have it, you won't want your money back. You'd rather keep the thing because now that you yeah. have it, you start to value it more. 
The other thing that made me think, and, and sorry if I'm taking this, you know how I get with these things, I just stop. My brain starts going too fast. In fact, let me give you an example. I've just bought some trousers from a company in the UK called Cotton Traders. Okay. Okay. I tell you what, returning the stuff is a pain in the neck. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I've literally contacted their their call center three times, you know? Yeah. I've taken the, the package up to the, the local post office. They wouldn't take it. I won't bore you with it all. But part of the issue about retaining Were you wearing the, goods, the pants at the time? Is that why they wouldn't take it back <laughs> at the post office? No. I'd only worn them 17 times, you know, and they weren't that dirty. <laughs> I'd only gone hiking through the, the mountains, uh, camping. But, yeah. but the point I'm trying to make is what Mohammed's question made me think about was baked into this, am I going to keep the goods or not, is the degree of difficulty to return something. Yes. Yeah. And you clearly could make things difficult for customers to return them. I'm not advocating that, by the way, although um, there are organizations which I think definitely do that. Yeah? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, the degree of pain that it takes to cancel a service or whatever else, that influences my decision about whether I, I keep that product as well or not. Yeah, clearly, right? I mean, think about this in just from a cost-benefit perspective. So... There are costs, including the costs of your time and effort, relative to the benefit of getting cash back from yeah. a purchase that you want to cancel. And the more we increase the, the hassle costs, the more we're going to get people saying, ah, it's not worth it, and therefore not going through the process and, and not getting their, their money back. As you say, this may not be a good strategy for you in the long run, even if it does save you on some money on, on some returns because you know I assume you are much less likely to buy trousers from this company next time. Yeah. You are our customers. We're always interested in hearing what you have to say and how we are doing. So we would be really grateful if you could take just three minutes and complete the survey of how we're doing. The link is in the show notes. Thanks very much. Cheers. So I guess going back to Mohammed's problem, um, which is I'm trying to convince my team that given the ability to use the product free for a period, well, I guess the issue is would that increase sales? Well, it could increase sales, but if it's a real hassle to return it, it actually could negatively affect brand or repeat business, couldn't it? Yeah, and I, I think that the way his, I mean, some of this depends on the details of the offering, but I think the way he phrased his question, it's not even clear that it would increase sales because if you're giving it out for free, then if they use it and it's a hassle and it's a hassle to return it, and you know, you may not even get any initial revenue from it because you gave it out for free and you're expecting them to start paying for it later. Where my, I guess my mind was going was, again, the degree of difficulty returning. And it was also going into the whole area of what's the competition doing? So yep. my immediate thought was software. So how many times do you go on and you get this new software and it says free for 14 days? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
you try it, you like it. That's when the endowment effect come in. I start using it and I then think, oh, I don't want this to be taken away. You know, this is really good. So you, you keep it. So you can imagine sales are increased at that point because of that. But you also know that it's easy to turn off. In fact, they, they turn it off, don't they? You go into it after the, the 15th day, after the 14 day trial, and it says, tough luck, you got to sign up for it. So in that case, it, it's easy. In the case of a physical product, you then start to go, for me, it's you start to go, well, yeah, after 30 days, do I now need to pay for returns? Because again, right. this is where I started to get with cotton traders and the difference between them and Amazon, just as, a, as an example. Well, have I now got to take it somewhere? Have I got to pay for it? Yep. I was talking to another company the other day that then said, you've got to insure it when you send it back. Oh, gosh. These, this wasn't trousers. They weren't particularly <laughs> expensive trousers. <laughs> this was a piece of electronic equipment. But you then go, oh, bloody hell, I've then got to insure it and everything else. Yep. I'm not actually going to, I don't think me taking this for three, free for 30 days is actually worthwhile. No, it, it's a great point. Right. I mean, if it is something physical, like sometimes returns need to come in their original packaging, which means now you need to hold on to all that packaging for 30 days. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. There are other issues that kind of surround how people value this. Like if it is software, sometimes people need software for a single usage, right? You just, there's some problem you need to solve. And so that 14 day trial, you may love the software, but this is just not a problem that's going to come up a lot for you. So you're never going to buy it. It may work perfectly. And there are obviously, yeah, there are people that that I, that I know, particularly students, who will create 72 different email yes. accounts so they can download <laughs> the software. Which is another kind of hassle days. cost, right? But yeah, that's a very good point, right? You're also opening the window for this kind of ever-recycling trial period. I assume Mohammed's thought this through, and this goes back to your point. The way that you would deal with that is you would turn around and you would say, well, how many sales have we got? And I don't know what the stat is, but how many sales have we actually got from these free trials? And if it's 95% of people that have done the free trial end up signing up for it or keeping it, that's good news. If it's only 2%, then it's not working very well. Yeah, it's a great point. So ultimately, rather than convincing his team that this is a great idea to implement, I would suggest, like, is there a way to experiment on this? Like, is there a way yeah. to randomly allow people in certain regions or on certain days yeah. of the week or for a six-month period to have a free trial and then have a control condition where there's no free trial and see what happens there empirically? Because we can spin out theories around both sides of this and you may may look at those theories and go, oh yeah, only this set of theory applies to what I'm talking about. And so therefore we have a high degree of confidence. But often it's more muddy. Often there's both at play. It also makes me think about the follow-on sales. So there are two aspects of this for me. One is, if we give them this, this experience, is it going to be a good experience that therefore provides ongoing revenue? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or is this an experience where it's so much hassle to return it that actually it's a negative thing? Yep. And you could see people on social media saying, trying to return this product and it's a pain in the neck to return it. And therefore that has a negative effect on sales. Okay. But I guess the other part that I just thought of was the, so not just the ongoing sale of that product, but does that encourage people to buy 
other products or services from your company. Mm -hmm. So are there add-ons? And again, this, sorry, I'm on a bit of a roll now. We often talk about looking at it from a wider context. So yes, they may have bought this product, but you know what? 27% of people that buy this product end up buying that product. Yep. And 15% of people that buy that product end up buying that product. And has he included all of those add-on sales in his business case to convince his colleagues? It's increasingly common for firms to create kind of an ecosystem for their products. So you, yes. know, you see it a lot in software where you've got like the operating system or, or kind of the, the base software. And then there's all these extra components that integrate well with it. You see it in the physical realm too. So I, I'm a, a woodworker and a lot of these tool brands will have the same battery platform for all of their tools. So you, know, you, can, you can buy three or four different battery operated tools and they all use the same batteries and the same chargers. And so it becomes kind of a reason to stick with that brand for all of your yes. tool purchases. And so you're dealing with a system like that, with an ecosystem, then a lot of times you really want to get people into it. And so having real yes. low prices to introduce or, or free trials, for example, to introduce people into the ecosystem can be really great, even if you lose money on those initial sales. And just building on that, having genuinely having an easy to return policy would be good because you don't want to put people off. Very good point. Or you don't want them to think that, well, am I going to start this process at all? I was listening to um, another podcast. I can't remember what it was the other day. I feel betrayed, Colin. <laughs> yes, I don't just listen to our own. They were talking about the fact that, and I've experienced this myself, with Netflix, you can go on and it's really easy to cancel Netflix or to put Netflix on hold. It's like a big red button or something. But some of the other platforms, and they were talking about one of the newspaper platforms, yeah. to try to unsubscribe from them is a nightmare, basically. Yeah. I mean, it, there have been sitcom episodes written about how difficult it is to cancel a gym membership. Yeah. Like it's notoriously bad. And that, that can be a barrier for entry. People don't want to get into something where you can only get out if you <laughs> meet in a locked room with the manager for a while. It can be a big cancel. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think you were also going to say something about reference points. Yeah, I mean, reference points can go a number of different ways. The danger, so we'll, we'll talk about the, the negative side here. The danger of offering something for free is that you set a reference point for what that thing is worth. So in the early days of the new kind of information economy, when everybody was going online, the norm became to offer everything for free. So all these newspapers and magazines and news sites started offering all their content for free. And that set a reference point for how much people should expect to pay for content online. Yep. The advertising revenue is not making up for the lost subscription revenue. So eventually places like the New York Times and, and other newspaper magazine sites started putting stuff behind a paywall and charging for it. And that caused a big problem for a while as people had to readjust to that because they were expecting it to be free. So the danger of giving something out for free or for a tr free trial period is that we're setting an expectation for what people should pay for it. And so then later, if you want them to pay more, now that is perceived as a loss. They're, they're not kind of on board with that. Right. Th there's a, a related idea, which, which is around kind of self-perception, 
which is that we tend to value things more when we've had to sacrifice for them. Sure. By getting something for free, we may appreciate that and that's great, but then we may value it less because of that. That's dependent upon the messaging, isn't it? Very so to much. Your, the first yep. part of your point. So in other words, if you're saying there's a 14-day trial on this and then it will be $40 or whatever it may be. I also think that in this sort of subscription economy that we're in, that how much you pitch your, and maybe this is actually a new another podcast, where you pitch the 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 cost of the product is really important because clearly if you're saying, well, if it's $200 a day, that makes you think. But there's one bit of software that we've actually got for this podcast, which is monitoring the stats of this podcast. I think it's like 20 quid a month. I've been meaning to cancel that for ages, <laughs> but just never got around to it. Because yeah. there's part of me that go, oh, it's only $20. I don't need to worry about it. But you then think, bloody hell, if everybody says that, that's a hell of a lot of uh, revenue that they're sucking in and people are, and maybe they're even sitting there thinking, hey, we've got these really loyal customers out here and actually 40% of their revenue is, in, with it, is within a net's breath of being cut off and somebody can be bothered to get around to it. I mean, there are businesses where that is the model. I had a friend who met with some executives at a dial-up internet service provider in the days when everybody was kind of slowly transitioning over to broadband. And their primary business model was to just be quiet because most of their revenue is coming from people who had signed up years ago and then just forgotten about it. So they, they were essentially submarines and just didn't want to make let anybody know that they were there. Yeah, I know. I wouldn't advocate that either, to be no, totally honest. No. There you go. Okay, so let's just summarize for uh, Mohammed. What does he need to do? How does he help convince his team or what, what should he should he even be doing this in the first place? I would suggest that he start with this question of why are people not buying now? Or why are they why are more people not buying now? What are those barriers? And if the barriers are things around kind of risk and experience, then I think free trials are gonna work great, right? And so we're gonna get people past this initial hurdle by reducing the risk, by um, giving people an actual experience with the good or the service. And then once they have that and they like it, they're going to want to sign up at that point. If that's the barrier, then that's the case he needs to make to his team. Like We know that once people try this, they love it and they don't want to give it up. And if that's the case, then there's a lot of great science, the endowment effect being primary among it, that suggests that, that a free trial will work fantastically well yep. on that case yeah good i would add ryan's thought of earlier which is test it yes if you can test it then you should absolutely test it and measure it it depends on the market you're in for me so if everybody else is doing it then i i could argue that you've got to do it because everybody else is there i would be adding to make a more compelling case adding further on sales mm -hmm. to this are there other products or services that can be sold off off the back of it? Because I think that that will be important as well. But Mohammed, thank you very much for the, for the question. If anybody else has got a question that they want to ask Ryan or, or I or a business problem, if you're in a pickle about something, please just drop us a line at contact at beyondphilosophy.com. 
That's contact at beyondphilosophy.com. And we will attempt to get you out of the pickle. And, and remember, if you do this, not only will we help try to solve your problem, it'll also be an opportunity to listen to Colin and I say the word pickle over and over again, <laughs> which I, I think our I, listeners really like. I, I felt like I was saying Peter Piper pecked a pickle pickle, a pickle pickle pepper. Oh, anyway, I can't say yeah, that was very close. No, I'm going to I'm gonna give you full credit for that. That was that was a hard one, and you made it like eighty percent of the way through. That was good. All right, so I hope that gets you out your pickle, Mohammed, and um, look forward to talking to everybody next week. Cheers. This has been the Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer. Intuitive Customer.